Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. All right, blessings everybody. Glad to see you. Let me start by pronouncing a blessing over all of us in the name of Jesus. I bless you now in the name of Jesus that you would know Jesus more wonderfully today. I bless you to receive healing if you need healing in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit. I bless you to receive whatever guidance from God you need today, whatever help from God you need immediately. I bless you to have the courage and resilience to flourish and prevail over whatever challenges you're facing in your life right now. And I bless you to feel hope and joy and love and peace, whatever's going on. I bless you with this in the name of Jesus. May it be. Amen. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome back. If you're new here or are visiting, we are in a short study on the book of Ruth. It is a book about faith. It's a book about hope. And it's very obviously a book about love. It's one of the sweetest love stories in the Bible. It's packed with a whole bunch of goodness. Just to catch you all up, um, it started with a bad decision with devastating consequences. Basically, Elimelech, who is the dad of the family, decided without asking God, to move his family away and to move to Moab. Uh, Again, he he did that not even caring what God thought. It seemed good to him. They move across to Moab, and in 10 years, tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. In 10 years, we see Elimelech is dead, his oldest son is dead, and his youngest son is dead. They're all dead, except for, and leaving behind, Naomi, his wife, and two daughters-in-laws that his sons had married while in in Moab, these Moabite girls. So we find Naomi in this crushed place. The word that keeps coming up is bitter, this bitter place. Uh, And she decides to return to Bethlehem. On the way, she encourages her daughters-in-laws to go back home, go back to their parents, go back to their family, basically because as she looks at life, there is nothing forward for her. It is entirely hopeless. There's no, there's nothing worth putting hope in going ahead. It just seems awful. And so Orpah, she grieves, and, but yet returns to her family in Moab. But Ruth clings. She clings to her mother-in-law, and she makes a vow. Basically, I'm going to go with you. I'm gonna, we're going to be together. Your people are going to be my people, and your God will be my God. She makes that vow, and we ended with chapter 1 with them returning to Bethlehem right at the end of the barley harvest. Very bitter Naomi, very broken Naomi. Uh, As I keep going through this next chapter, I keep thinking, you know, where's Naomi in this story? She's kind of the main character, and, and yet where is she? Why is she not out working in the fields? And, and, you know, maybe she's too old. Maybe she's too old to do that sort of thing. I kind of wonder if her grief journey has just overwhelmed her. 
and just in her grief, in her bitterness, in the pain, having lost her husband and her two sons, just that she's just done, and she can't even, she can't even get motivated anymore. That's, I don't know exactly what's true, but she's definitely in a, in a very dark place. But then we start chapter 2 today. And first, the first verse of chapter 2 is a, it's a tease, it's a behind-the-scenes tease that we get to know that they don't know yet, that Ruth doesn't know yet. But we get this, this, one, this one sentence or this one verse that just kind of gives us a hint of what's going to happen. It says this in chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Yes, this is who I've been looking forward to, to meeting here. Bible says three background bits of information about this Boaz guy that we're going to see more and more about. Number one, prominent family. Number two, godly character, noble character, sorry, noble character. And number three, Elimelech's family. Now, when it says he's a prominent man, this guy is a bigger deal than you might first think. His grandfather was Nashon. Now, I know I don't need to say anything else. And you're all like, yeah, of course, Nashon. Yeah, we all know. Okay. Nashon was the leader of the whole tribe of Judah in the Moses generation. So when they're going through the Exodus, Nashon is, it didn't go by this title at all, but like king of the tribe of Judah. He's, he's the number one, the leader of the tribe of Judah. Okay. So this is his grandson, Boaz. Now, the other thing that's interesting to know is Nashon, so his grandfather, his sister. So this makes Boaz his great aunt. Sorry, I should have drawn this out for you instead of doing this kind of pithy hand motions. His, his great aunt married Aaron, the high priest. The high priest. So all of the high priest lineage is related to Boaz. In fact, after looking at how cousins and cousinships works on the internet, and I'm tracking it down, the high priest is currently Boaz's second husband. Nope, not husband. That was... I just... I'm slaughtering this. Second cousin. The high priest is his second cousin. So Boaz is highly connected. He has, he's got this amazing godly uh, pedigree. He's a very big deal. And the cool thing that it, the Bible wants you to make sure that you know is that unlike the rest of his generation, he is clearly walking in the ways of God. Unique in his generation. Noble character. A, a godly man in a time when that's pretty rare. So uh, as we go through this chapter, we're going to see the beginnings of a love story here. It's, it's not fully going to come together in this chapter, but we're going to start looking at the day that Ruth and Boaz, when they first meet, we're going to make some observations, basically about God and his role in behind the scenes bringing them together, and secondly, about the things that make these two people ready, ready for each other, and even surprisingly, right for each other. I suppose when we're looking at the story, we want to make sure that we, we understand two that God has two hands. He has his obvious hand of miracles and his very wonderful, mighty, hidden hand of providence. His guiding of events, 
his sovereign guiding and orchestrating of events. We like to talk and celebrate his powerful hand of miracles, but he is also very, very much at work with his hidden hand of providence. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned one of my favorite verses, a couple verses these days, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which, as you remember, says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways, acknowledge him or know him or know what he's, and he will make your path straight. That's the hidden hand of God's providence at work, him making your path straight. Last week, Ruth made a commi commitment of uh, a vow, really, to Naomi and Naomi's God. And now we're going to watch God honor that by making her path straight. By, by guiding her, uh, in this case, towards, towards Boaz. Now, I like that verse from last week, but there's another one that I really appreciate in partnership with this from Psalm 37. In Psalm 37, verse 23, it says something similar. It says, the steps of a man, or a human, uh, steps of a person are established by Yahweh, established by the Lord when... He, when God, delights in his way. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. When he, in this story, we're going to see God directing, establishing the steps of Boaz and the steps of Ruth, bringing them together because he is delighted in their ways, their character. Their commitment to God, their godliness. And because of that, he's directing their steps. He's making their path straight. He's, in this case, straight towards one another. All right. That's the setup. Let's, let's go through this uh, story. A few observations along the way, but let's, let's read through chapter 2 here of the book of Ruth. Starting in verse 2 now. Ruth, the Moabitess, asked Naomi... Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone whom, with whom I find favor? Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. Again, why are we not going with? Why are we not going with? I, I don't know. Verse 3. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened... I'm just going to read that again. She happened just so happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Maybe a picture for you here. 1970s, fields of Bethlehem. Uh, that's not the same Ruth we're reading about, but you get the idea there. Just so happened. Hap just happened. Friends, for, for those of you following God, for those of you who delight in God, who are determined to live in God's ways, living in God, so often things just so happen perfectly, like you couldn't have orchestrated yourself, you couldn't have ever planned, because God's hidden hand of providence in your life is obviously at work as you have determined yourself to delight in His ways. And he, there he is, making your path straight, establishing your steps. Anyways, she just so happened to be in there. Verse 4, later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, 
Yahweh be with you. The Lord be with you. Again, first thing she hears out of his mouth, a prayer, a blessing. Yahweh bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you, so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. Here's a blessing again, a prayer. May the Lord, may Yahweh, reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, though I am not like one of your female servants. How about another picture? This one's from the 1898 to 1946 in that sort of zone out, out in the fields near Bethlehem. Again, uh, just get, getting a vibe there. Finally, these two meet. Okay, I've been waiting for this, all, you know, all, all for these last couple weeks as we're in this study here. And I want to make a few observations Looking at Boaz, looking at Ruth, that things that are for all of us, whatever our situation is today, whether we're married, whether we are dating, whether we want to be dating, or whether we never, ever, ever, ever want to be dating. Like wherever we're at in this journey, just a few observations pertinent for all of us. The first thing I want to mention is, is this whole thing starts with godly character. They're, they're starting with godly and noble character. That's where Ruth is. That's where Boaz is. If you are looking for a relationship, I say this is the first thing you want to put into your life, godly character and noble character, and the prime thing that I would be looking for in that other person. Who has a heart for godliness unique in our generation? Who is that person? Now, we, we've talked about how this is the judge's generation in the past, this where they're at the judge's generation, where everybody's just kind of doing whatever they think is right, and they're not following God anymore. Well, Boaz is different. He's different in his generation. He's a godly man with noble character. And Ruth, she has a totally different background, a totally different background. But what captures Boaz's attention about this girl? He's heard her story. He knows about her vow to show loyal love to show loyal love to Naomi and her choice and her vow to choose Naomi's God as her God. That's what he knows about her. Everything has been fully reported to him. The number one way that you can get yourself ready for, for, for God to make your path straight 
The number one way, if we're got to make your past right, to establish your steps in relationships or in any and every way, the number one way is to live uniquely godly, to live a uniquely godly life in our current less than godly generation. Now, if you're married, if you're married, and let's just say, as unlikely as it seems, you wish some things were better in your relationship, okay? You're married, you wish some things were better. Maybe you feel like it's at that point where you would really like God's intervention in them, God's help for them. No elbow nudging, okay? You really want God's, you know, shifting of something in their life to, to make some things better for the sake of your marriage. Generally speaking, the first and most significant thing that I always say to people is a better marriage begins here. A better marriage begins here. And, and what I implore you to do is to start by running to God in prayer, by returning to God in godliness and to step it up with noble character. Now, what do I mean by noble character? Noble character is, is this godly consistency of, of right responding when, when the attacks are coming from all around. And you're not being triggered by, by what's right. You're not responding like for like. You're showing a nobility in your character by not responding as you are treated, you are responding instead godly in the midst of maybe a less than wonderful moment, that, that, that nobility of, of character. Now, I'm not saying any of this is a promise that if you work on you and you, and you get your right things right, that everything's going to uh, come together for you, but what we're seeking is God's help. And if we determine ourselves to walk in God's ways, godliness, then we can appeal to him to make our path straight, to help, to help in our situations. And, and you know, this may not be true for you, but for, for other people, most people who are married are way more clued into their spouse's issues than their own issues. They're, they're, they're very aware of how, uh, of how that person is sinning or how they're sinning against them. And I mean, sure, I might sin from time to time, from t- but, you know, like I'm really more dialed in, into them and, and all that kind of stuff. I just... I feel like the best place to start is you work on you. You work on you in your godliness, noble character, and let's just see. Let's just see what the fruit is in your marriage when, when God is more delighted in your way, and you've started here. You've started working on your marriage here. The better marriages begin, begin here. That was fun. There's something that most people read into the book of Ruth that is not there. There's an assumption that, that, we, that people just put into this book. It's never once mentioned. I think what, most people, when they, when they think about the book of Ruth, what they do is they think of there's tr- two attractive people here. A, a, a young, hot, hardworking Moabite girl named Ruth and a strong, rich, ripped to the guts masculine man named Boaz and and you know you've got these two people that that are just so uh, amazing looking and, and mighty the, the bible never once ever mentions anything about their appearance 
Everything that we insert in there is, is connected to some cultural bombardment lies. We, we, we look at the situation like, wow, uh, of course they must be attractive. They quickly fall in love with each other. How else could you possibly love somebody? And so we live in this like TV generation, social media. We have filters to smooth things out. I don't know. We got, we got, we got a Photoshop forever. It's just, it's just an amazing program that, that causes us all to live in lies. And we got movies and, and, and all these things. We're so image obsessed that we have the hardest time looking at this book and not thinking that they must be attractive because they fall in love quickly. And because they're in love. But that's not there. And the Bible's not shy about talking about when someone's attractive. Lots of people, it says, this person's attractive, and this person's attractive, and this person's attractive. These two never even mentions it. And also with these two, there's, there's kind of an awkward, even in that culture, an awkward age difference between them. They're not very close in age. In verse 8, he calls her daughter. In the next chapter, he's going to comment some surprise here because the eight, he's way older than, than she is. And, and he's going to be surprised about this. Friends, this is a story about love. This is a story about love. And what I want you to see is some of the things that we make such a huge deal about, appearance and age, older, younger, too old, too young, that kind of pickiness, that kind of pickiness can cause you to miss or reject the person that God brings right in front of your path. Let me illustrate this a little bit from my own life. Okay, some pictures here. So... Kelly and I started dating in high school. This is who Kelly thought she was getting. <laughs> this is who she really has ended up with. I look at that person and I'm like, is that even me? Like, like that, that face, I'm like, I've had it under this beard for so long. I don't even, do, is that really what I look like? That hair? You know, I mean, uh, what happened to that? And wow, is it so much better this way. Uh, but, you know, like, if, if Kelly's thinking about aesthetics when she's making this decision in high school, this has got to be the most disappointed person of all time. I mean, that's, that's, not, that's not here. And if on her list is, I want some really sporty and athletic and all this kind of stuff. Well, I, I was for like a month, right? <laughs> This is, we, we have moved past that, but so often the things that I hear, oh, I could never, I mean, the, the, the lists that I hear with people are, are lists along that, like, I want somebody who looks like they, they work on Saved by the Bell TV show or something like that. I don't even, I don't even know, right? This, yikes, yikes. I suggest not being so dialed into the appearance thing. Case in point. Very different shortly thereafter. This is her happily ever after. <laughs> that was just a lure, right? Um, let's think about George Mueller. I've been reading a book on George Mueller, a godly man. You know what he was looking for in his wife? He was looking for someone who would pray with him. 
who would dive into ministry with him, choose, choose to live a, a highly generous life with him, to, like, to somebody who could, he could walk with and run after Jesus with. It turns out that she was, he found somebody, she was seven years older than he was, didn't even bat an eye. That, that the normal age thing, not even worried about it. I want somebody who prays with me, who runs after Jesus with me. They were married for 39 years and, and ran after Jesus together, all that. She, she ended up passing away. He's devastated. And then over time, he starts uh, praying and, and pursuing this other person. What is he looking for? Somebody who runs after Jesus with so a godly person. She ends up, I don't even know, like nine years younger. Like he, the, the, the things that we can be so obsessed with, he's not worried about. He knows what he's looking for. He's looking for someone who's godly and prayer, uh, full of a woman of prayer and, and faith and running after somebody to run after Jesus with. I, I say, you know, what might last? Like, look for the things that might last. That hair wasn't lasting. Those abs were not lasting. What, what, what might last? And I say might last, might last, because, again, there's no guarantee. What might last? Godliness, kindness, loyalty, work ethic as seen in, in Ruth here. Again, the, this, the idea of no guarantee, but looking for someone who, who you could run with in life and run hard after Jesus with. There are, there are sad stories of people who think they find that person and then they kind of feel betrayed in the end and, and they find themselves like, oh, I thought I found that person and then they ended up turning out to be awful and those are, those are tragedies. We can't, no one knows the whole future except for God. And if you find yourself in a place someday where disappointed because that godly person didn't stay on track, again, I'm so sorry. But continue to trust in the Lord with all your heart. He will make your path straight from, from here or from there. But anyways, the things that we do hope for and the things that might last or are likely to last and people that we want to run with, things that are godly, kind, loyal, hard work ethic, uh, maybe, you're, maybe you start asking yourself, who is good to you with no strings attached? Who's just kind out there? Boaz does not think Ruth is an option. He's not looking to marry her in this chapter. It's just not in his mind. He's just being him. And, and what is he like? Somebody who prays and blesses his workers. Somebody who is generous with a foreigner. Let me keep reading. It's going to get even more interesting. Verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today? And where did you work? May Yahweh, may the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may Yahweh, may the Lord bless him 
because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, this man is a close relative. He's one of our family redeemers. Ruth the Moabitess said, he also told me, stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to, the, to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the, and the wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Another picture. Mealtime. Same time period, 1898 to 1946, somewhere in there. Okay, back to the generosity thing. Boaz is clearly being generous with, with Ruth here. Why? Not because he wants to marry or anything. It's not on his mind. Again, he's thinking the age difference, that he's got that insecurity. She's got the I'm a Moabitess insecurity, which we read earlier in the chapter. They've each got their insecurities here. But the reason is kindness. He has not abandoned his kindness. This is a kindness. He's generous and he's, and he, he's generous because of his kindness. And, and part of that is his care for Naomi and Elimelech's family. We're going to soon find out that it wasn't Boaz's job to take care of Naomi and Ruth. It wasn't, there, there was somebody else who's, that's whose job it actually was. He doesn't need to do this, but he, he is kind. And in his kindness, he is being extremely generous. And when I say extremely generous... If you do the maths, she brought home 26 quarts of barley. That was two weeks' worth of wages. So everybody else in the field is getting one day's worth of wage. She's getting two weeks' worth of wages, bringing it in. She's also encouraged to save for the rest of the harvest. The barley harvest is about six weeks, not to mention the wheat harvest. If she is somewhere even close to that quantity, or even a bit less, if she's around the same quantity just for the barley harvest, she, that's six weeks, six days a week, not working on the Sabbath. That's going to be two weeks, 72 weeks worth of wages over that six weeks. There's only 52 weeks in a year. You're talking one year, four months wages. That's the kind of generosity and provision that Boaz, who has no obligation to do, take care of them, is, is providing here to Naomi and Ruth. Over a year's wage in this one barley harvest. It's incredible. And yet if Boaz had a list of his ideal woman, somebody that he was looking for, and if he was as picky as most seem to be in our generation, Ruth would definitely not be on his list. She wasn't raised in a godly family. She didn't have godly parents. She doesn't have any godly pedigree. In fact, actually, truth be told, she is most certainly an ex-demon-worshipping, Moabite cult-worshipping woman, a very new convert to God, like days, like days. Only a few days, a widow, most likely grimy and smelly as she works in the field, and she has an infamously bitter mother-in-law. Like, it's not like she's bringing some awesomeness to the table here. She, she's, got, she's got nothing. I've got nothing, and here's my bitter mother-in-law as well. Yikes. He, he's not trying to woo her, but, but his godly character is just shining through. It's shining through in his kindness. 
his kindness, his, his generosity. Now, family, whatever your story, whether you're married or whether you're dating or not dating or you're determined to never, ever, 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 ever go on a date, this is what I want for, for all of you, for all of you. This is what I want for yourself and for any relationships that you're pursuing. I want you, like Ruth and Boaz, to focus right now on your godly character, nurturing and growing in your godly character. And you're like, hmm, I'm probably at the top of the godly character spectrum. I'm going to be like, hmm. I think we can still work on it. Keep going there. Keep working on it. Exuding kindness. The aim of my life is to exude kindness, generosity, loyal love. Loyal love, hard work, being committed to God and godliness. These are those attributes that are rising to the top. And God is seeing these two, these two people and he is directing their paths. In this case, towards one another. Again, I, I know that I've been mentioning this, this proverb over and over again. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Right now, I want to tell you what the two verses right before that are and their connection to this story. The two verses right before, Proverbs 3, 3 and 4, never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. You can see the connection right there. In fact, most NIV, never let love and faithfulness, or ESV, steadfast love, and faithfulness. The, the word loyalty here is connected to love, love, loyalty, steadfast, loyal love. It's exactly what we're talking about. Never let loyal love leave and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Bind that, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard with God and people. Loyal love, faithfulness. That's the path, high regard for God and people. Just say, set your aim, set your priorities. If you're married, to keep growing in these things. If you're not, uh, if, if you're married and you're not being kind to your spouse, you're not exuding kindness to your spouse, if you're not being kind to your spouse, May God rebuke you until you get back to kindness. I'm not going to hesitate. I asked Kelly if I could say that. She said, yeah. Yeah, you can. Kindness in your marriage. Yes. Until you return to kindness and, and loyal love. Nobly. Whatever else is happening. Never let loyal love and faithfulness leave you. Never. Never leave you. And for those of you who are looking for, for love, I might encourage you this moment to put away your stupid lists and look. Just put away the list for a second and look. Look, just for a second. Has the hidden hand of God brought you in front of your path a godly, kind, generous person right in front of your path? Maybe it's not what you were thinking. Maybe there's some, some things that you're like, oh, I, 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 I don't know, I was thinking that they would have more hair, or whatever the case may be. That's okay. Might God be directing your path as you have been committed to running after him? Keep your eyes open, wider. God, godly relationships are a million times better than the ones that tick all the traditional boxes, okay? It, 
Someone who's hot but not kind, awful. Someone who's, who's good enough but not godly enough, what a wreck, okay? You're looking for unusual godliness. Somebody who prays and is pursuing God in our, in our generation. Here's the challenge for us today. Challenge number one, whatever your situation, practice over-the-top kindness this week by praying for opportunities. That's part of it. Praying for opportunities to show over-the-top kindness. Uh, to be over-the-top kind to a wide variety of people. If you want to know what the winning line is, if you're competitive, three and you're starting to win. You get three over-the-top acts of kindness, you're starting to win to three different people. Just, just throwing that out there, okay? Number two, if you're married, intentionally plan to do one very over-the-top kind thing for your spouse this week. Very kind, over-the-top. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. We'll see how that goes. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your loyal love. God, I thank you for your loyal love, your, the, 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 great, uh, the great kindness that you show us, your people, the over-the-top the, the kindness. You are noble. You are kind. You are good. You are trustworthy. We're so thankful. Now, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would direct our paths, that you would make our paths straight, that you would, that you would shine on every attempt as we, stepped, we want to step towards godliness and kindness and noble character in our generation. Maybe I'll just give us a moment here and you can just, have, in the quietness, have your own little conversation with God. Maybe you just need to recommit to stepping it up in godliness or maybe kindness maybe even just returning to god maybe you've been away from god or you've never given your life to god and right now you're like i'm going to rededicate or i'm going to dedicate my life to god I suggest praying something like this, God, here I am. Forgive me. No matter what happens now in my life, I commit my life, I dedicate my life to you, to following you. Whether things go good or whether things are challenging, whatever happens, lead me, guide me, fill me with your spirit. Flood me with your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.